Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Waveform Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. So we'll talk today about pronounced cringe levels in pandemic product presentations and LG and the lame lack of life of their smartphone business. And then the huge Hasselblad hype and maybe going broke from buying with Bitcoin. There's a lot to get into. But first, we got to talk about NFTs. I I feel like it's been a while since we have. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. We're not talking about NFTs again. I know a lot of people have heard uh, probably to the moon and back about NFT stories. But I do have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about in uh, in the in the media world. In uh, it's sort of a parallel world to the tech world on YouTube. I haven't told you guys all of the story, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna break this down here. We'll Do just talk. We'll just talk about McLaren. We'll talk about YouTube, and we'll talk about media and the perception of YouTubers. Okay, sounds so, good. Okay, let me just start with. Uh, there's a really good video by a YouTuber called Donut Media, a couple of them host that channel, but it's called Why Some Supercars Take More Than Money to Buy. So you know how sometimes you'll see like a, a headline about Bugatti, Bugatti made their most expensive, you know, sport version ever yet. They're $10 million each and they're all sold out. And you're like, how is that possible? <laughs> how did people buy this car before it was even sold out? So it's an exploration of that concept of some supercar companies are so exclusive and have so much demand for so few cars that they actually get to decide who gets to buy their cars. And Ferrari is a prime example of this where if if I if you and I today walked into a Ferrari dealership or something like that with a million dollars cash in a briefcase and said, let me buy a brand new SF90 right now, mm-hmm. they would actually look us in the eye and say, mm, nah, nah, we don't really want that. I mean, here's some other older Ferraris that we're willing to sell you right now. And maybe if you're if you buy enough of these older Ferraris and maybe are a supporter enough of the brand, then maybe someday we'll like you enough and think of you as an SF90 buyer and we'll let you, we'll let you give us your money. It's wild, man. It's a very different world where obviously you're used to just walking in, being able to buy the thing you want. So that video, it, we'll link it in the show notes. It's a really good one. And it explores the topic super well-researched and uh, has little interview bits in there. But Shortly after I watched that video, I was uh, sort of catching up on this sort of YouTube story. So there's a YouTuber I follow, Brooks. His YouTube channel is called Drag Times. Okay. Brooks is one of the the few car YouTubers who regularly uploads who I follow, 
who he, he buys a bunch of cars, he drives a bunch of cars, and as you can tell by the name of his, his channel, we'll drag race them against each other. Yeah. So he's constantly, he's all about that drag times. Like literally, what's the, what's the rolling splits? What are the quarter mile times? What are the trap times? How low can he get these cars? And uh, he's been on a little bit of a tear recently where he's got this 765LT, which is McLaren's newest car, mm -hmm. to be the first fastest ever production car in the quarter mile under nine seconds. Or, sorry, he's got a stock one in the low nines and he's got a modified one under nine seconds, which is crazy. For quick, I feel like we focus on zero to 60 so much. What's like a a good, kind of averagely good not, or quarter mile time? Yeah, I, I think you're, you'd probably think of a fast quarter mile as about 12 seconds. Okay. Probably about 12 so second quarter mile. Under nines, insane. Yeah, a Tesla okay. Model S will do like low tens, which okay. is like what you think of a Model S as one of the quickest cars in the world from zero to 60. Some sort of flat lines after that, but a very impressive mm -hmm. sub 11 second quarter mile. So when you're talking sub 10, you're you're talking like hypercar territory. And then to go sub nine is unreal. That car apparently did less than two seconds, zero to 60 modified rear wheel drive. So it's a crazy crazy McLaren. He's covering this. He's documenting the process in a way that only an owner or someone who knows the owner possibly could, right? Mm -hmm. So I know I, I've been a big follower of Brooks. Recently, he, he'd uploaded a video on another McLaren called the Alva, which is this roadster with no roof. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, a couple days later, it was deleted. And I never really found out why. <laughs> it just kind of disappeared for a while and there was not really much said about it. But then later it apparently came out that McLaren asked him to get rid of the video. And this is when a bunch of the, the reporting sort of started to pop up. Like, wait, why did McLaren ask Brooks to get rid of this video? He was again, you know, drag racing that car, trying to figure out what the times were, what the power put down was. It did great numbers. People loved the video. And then it was gone. And apparently, so this has come from multiple sources that Brooks has spoken to, but apparently a, a sort of VP at McLaren Marketing asked him to remove the video because he was a little early with it and shouldn't have had access to it. And at the end <laughs> of the day, he's just an owner with a YouTube channel, not an automotive journalist. And those were actual words from someone who works at McLaren. That to me is the story. That is such an odd yeah. perspective to take as someone who's obviously in the marketing world and who's supposed to know about what how cars sell and in this modern day, like what makes a good user experience and why people buy cars. That to me was really strange to see. It just seems like such an old way of thinking because I mean, we've all seen in the past decade that journalism's just changed a ton. And it seems like they're looking at these like really, really, uh, defines lines of like who a journalist is when really YouTube and and people who didn't go to journalism school have been becoming reviewers. And that seems bad for the brands. But at the same time, when you're a brand that has not only such a highly uh, like entry point in terms of just straight money, but now, which is news to me, you're telling me about this entry point that is uh, like you literally have to be allowed to buy some of these things. That's insane. So I guess is marketing to them that? Yeah, there's just there's just so many things wrong with that stance to me. Number one, okay, to say, uh, you know, if you're offering cars to journalists, what are you fundamentally doing? You're sharing what you've made to the world through someone else's experience, right? Yeah. That is exactly what people with YouTube channels are doing for free, number one. Number two, the phrasing of it, of like, you're just an owner with a YouTube channel, 
you're not a true, proper, you know, whatever, automotive journalist. Imagine if it was the other way around. Like, no matter how you phrase that, it's condescending. Like, oh, you're yeah. not you're not a YouTuber. You're just an automotive journalist. Like, that's condescending no matter how you phrase it. Yeah, that's... They're all doing roughly the same thing. Now, here's the thing. So, journalists, people have a lot of respect for journalists. Obviously, mm-hmm. they go to school to do what they do. There's a certain code of conduct, and it's very traditional. It's very well understood. Someone who's probably been in the game for a long time understands much better how journalism and automotive journalism works than how YouTube channels have been doing what they do for the past couple of years. But the thing is, the effectiveness, if you've been paying any attention lately, (laughs) of an owner with a YouTube channel can be dramatically more, dramatically better than any one automotive journalist experience. Because that journalist, again, no offense at all, but has a day or two or a week with a car to give their experience. I do my best in that same context with the autofocus series. But an owner who has like a year or two with the car, who gets to find out what breaks first, who gets to find out how it does on a bunch of different tracks, who gets to get much more involved with the modification process, all this stuff is going to have like a lot of useful information to a potential buyer. And so people who are actually looking to buy these cars who are going, you know what, I have that million bucks in a briefcase. Mm -hmm. Where do I want to spend it? They're watching YouTube videos. They're watching videos of owners. They're talking to other owners, trying to figure out what those experiences are like. And Brooks, I can tell you right now, is single-handedly responsible for a lot, a lot of McLaren purchases over the years. So it is really weird to me that someone who's at the head of McLaren marketing could look right past that. Now, maybe there's something to the exclusivity of the Alva. Maybe they didn't want this to get out early and it's sort of messing with their PR. Fine, but just say that. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, just say that. One, you don't have to be condescending. Two, when he, when the owner of that, you said he borrowed it from an owner, right? He right. is an owner, but he took that car or borrowed yep. it from an owner. Yep. It, was there something in the contract when he bought that car that said you're not allowed to make videos or lend this to? Like, that's a good point. What What is the legality there of being able to show this? I, I think what you were saying before is that like maybe there's no like written in stone legality thing, but is is he worried now about just not being able to access McLaren stuff if you piss off the company and right. so this that's is why, why I took the video down? That's a good point. So there, this, is, uh, this also goes back to the Donut Media video where if you're like, okay, in the supercar world, these car companies are trying so hard to maintain their image that they will hand select who's able to give them money for a car. They will also, and this is sort of famously with the Ford GT, put like clauses in their contracts about what you can or can't do once you get the car. You remember Dead Mouse uh, painted his Ferrari with like Niantic or whatever. Yeah. Ferrari got so mad at that, That's and they wanted I, to take I the car back. Love I love Dead Mouse so much. He's it was beautiful. So the Ferrari is no more because that was oh, it, a, it happened. It like, happened, and it was a problem for Ferrari, and it, it's no longer. So that that's a thing, mm-hmm. and that's that's been a thing with the Ford GT, where you know people would buy the Ford GT and then want to sell it, and there was literally a clause that you couldn't flip it within a certain amount of time because that doesn't look good for the car that people are just flipping it. So there is a real element of buyers wanting to stay in good graces with these car companies and maybe maybe that's a little bit of pressure brooks felt when mclaren goes hey take that down he's a buyer he wants to stay in good graces with mclaren keep buying the cars in the future fine i get it but i I, I put all the weight on mclaren for this dumb decision i guess i also wouldn't be worried if it's not necessarily brooks being worried about that but 
Brooks being worried about messing with the owner whose car he borrowed it from. Because I'm right. sure McLaren can figure out whose car that is. Very, when you don't sell a lot of cars, you know where where those cars are. 100%. So I, I bet he's more just trying to make sure his friend and his buddy who lent him the car doesn't get in trouble. And, and I totally, totally understand that. It is just an... It's an awful look for McLaren, but at the same time, like when you're not really a, I don't think I consider McLaren or Lamborghini or Ferrari consumer car. Like, no, no, like no. there are four people who are consumers, but there are for a very, very small percentage of the yeah. people. Like they they can do that. It doesn't really matter to them. They're they're not going to really lose sales off of this. I don't yeah, think. I guess that's the thing is is McLaren really in a position where this video, which by the way said a bunch of really nice things about the car showed the car had really great performance. I, I remember seeing that video in my sub box and the thumbnail is like, it's a convertible, so it's him with his face like stretched back, like <laughs> driving this car. Like all these awesome things. Is McLaren really now in a place where they literally don't want that? Like what is the harm in that video showing all these great things about the car to a bunch of people who may eventually be prospective owners? It I is very niche, like you said, but yeah. there's a bunch of prospective owners watching that stuff. I wonder if they just assume that like when you're purchasing high-level cars like that, you're already in some sort of community and the actual like outward motion of a YouTube video to the masses isn't actually helping them at all. And <laughs> I mean, that's a very, very in-the-box way of thinking. But maybe, I, do we want to make a parallel to this? Like, when I think about this, though, I think about how much we may complain about traditional media not loving this like new media of YouTube in the tech space, but we are light years ahead of oh, I was stuff gonna, like that. So. Yeah, I was going to say, I would, I would give a shout out to the tech community yeah. for being that far ahead. I mean, you look at companies like if you if you replace the McLaren with like a tech company, like the Apples, Samsungs, whatever of the world, the difference is they're selling consumer products, but they are very much embracing now of an owner with a YouTube channel. Matter of fact, they love owners with YouTube channels. Yeah, <laughs> they'll, they'll run commercials, super cutting and licensing clips from owners with YouTube channels before their event, which we'll talk about an event in a mm -hmm. second. But that's uh, that's kind of their thing is like in the tech world where anyone can buy anything. And that's probably true of a lot of worlds. Uh, they are they love owners with with their own independent opinions because nine times out of 10, when it's a good opinion, that helps your company's bottom line. So mm -hmm. that's just something to keep an eye on. So shout out to the tech world for not being as uh, as in the rocks as McLaren. Maybe they'll change their ways. Maybe they'll they'll flip a switch and realize they're selling more cars thanks to Brooks. But either way, shout out to Brooks. Keep it up, man. Well, anyway, speaking of things that you can't really buy anymore. Maybe. LG. LG. Oh, man. This has been, a, we've talked about this briefly in, in episodes of the yeah. past, but uh, the new headline, LG may shut down its smartphone business since it can't find a buyer. The uh, the original early days of this story was, wow, LG's not really selling enough phones. They might have to get rid of their smartphone division, but hey, maybe someone will buy it and mm -hmm. take it from there. And that's happened to varying degrees of success in the past, but now it looks like no one seems to really want that and they're just going to shut it down. Yeah, it's like the rumors we talked about before was that it their just mobile business wasn't doing quite as well. And also, let's think about that comparatively. LG has a crazy display business. They have a crazy uh, like home appliance sector. They're they doing very well in their other aspects of uh, products, but their mobile business hasn't been that good despite a lot of us seeing LG stuff all the time. We probably cover at least one or two LG phones a year. But this new rumor uh, came out from a Korean publication, and it just said that LG was in talks with a couple different buyers, but essentially because their global market share was only around 1%, 
the set price they had was too high and I and the uh the couple of potential buyers backed out because yeah. of that. I mean, it's hard to sell something that has a market share of 1%. Yes. There's what 20 different cell phone companies maybe. It's there's a lot. We yeah. should just we should pour one out for LG cuz LG, you know, they as much crap as we give like some companies for doing weird things, we need some companies to try to be doing weird it, yeah. things and sometimes they do catch on. You know, the uh, some of the earliest, the absolute earliest phones with ultrawides yeah. came from LG, 100%. I, I think we give them credit for that. Yeah, we, we give them a ton of credit for that. I mean, would I would say ultrawide is a standard in almost any flagship and going down to like pretty budget phones are having them these days. And, and You say almost every flagship. I think it's every flagship. It should flagship. be. Oh, is finally Pixel? Pixel 5 did do it. Yeah, yeah but I feel like it's everywhere. I mean, it became a thing though where Pixel 4, we made a huge stink that it didn't have the ultra-wide. <laughs> like, it became a negative thing to not have it. Yeah. And I think that's... Did I, I mean, make a stink? That's an, I made a stink. Okay, I can you tell you stink. that. I remember many podcast episodes complaining about that. Um, but just like, they've done some weird things. The LG Wing, you know, Maybe it wasn't, maybe they didn't nail it on that one, but they're trying to innovate something. There's talks of them having a rumored rollable phone. And like, if I can think of any company right now that would do a rollable phone, it's probably LG because they already have a rollable TV that works. They also made that modular phone, the LG G5, which you could literally just pop the battery out. This was right around the days where removable batteries were starting to disappear from phones, kind of like the way the headphone jack is now. Mm -hmm. And everyone looked back and said, wait, removable batteries are so good. If we just ran out of battery, we could just pop in a new one instead of waiting to charge. Then LG comes out with the G5, where it's literally just like a, a hot swap, not hot swap, but a, a quick swappable yeah, yeah. battery, which was like this super cool system. And yeah. That's another one that didn't catch on, but was a, a really good idea. So if, if if any company is out here just pumping out a bunch of cool ideas and seeing what sticks, well, LG is definitely one of them. So we're we're gonna miss that a little. Bit. And they were like they were mainstream enough. They were in carriers where like we have Vivo doing early things like the under uh, under display fingerprint sensor. Remember when we tested that? But those aren't really like hitting markets, especially in the the U.S. So LG was like mainstream enough while also pushing the boundaries on some things. So. I know, I know you and me haven't been the biggest fans of LG phones in the past, and maybe that's just because they don't appeal to us as much, but like, it's still sad to see them go. Yeah, I think it gets misconstrued. I think, I think people would think that I'm not a big fan of LG phones because often I'm reviewing phones from the perspective of should you buy it or not. And the phones that it appears that I like the most are really the ones that are the easiest to recommend where it's like, th there's so much good about this phone or there's so little bad about this phone that it's like a blanket, like, look, Pixel 4a, great phone, cheap, good camera, you want it, nothing really wrong here, get it. Mm -hmm. There weren't that many LG phones that did that, but I loved LG because they would try these crazy, weird, different things. And I would never end a review with, yeah, this is a great phone overall, nothing really wrong here, get it. It would always be, this is really interesting. Like, there's some yeah. quirks here. Is this a good idea or not? I don't know. Like, LG Wing, I love that they made that but I never recommend no, no, it to never. anyone, right? So this this sort of pattern with like the way LG phone reviews went where you didn't really get any of those bangers where they didn't have a Pixel 4a, they didn't have, I mean, they, they even made a Nexus back in the day, which was one of their better received phones, but they never really had that, that mainstream hit to keep the smartphone business going. That's why they find themselves where they are. But I did really like a lot of their stuff and I think the innovations didn't come with like technologies like the under display fingerprint reader tech or the the selfie camera behind the glass tech, those sort of minute innovations that we see now, they're more with ideas. Yeah. Like what if a phone 
did this? What if a phone swiveled? What if a phone had a hot swappable battery? What if a phone took ultra wides too? That's the type of stuff that I like seeing from them. LG is also the one I feel like the biggest fans of LG right now are the, it has a DAC and it has a headphone jack. So like, I find that now really interesting that ROG 5 brings back the headphone jack and LG might be going. So ROG might have made a, a weirdly, really great decision on that and being able to grab a bunch of the uh, LG fans yeah, that's to go funny. over there, the people who miss, who w need a headphone jack. So if you have an LG phone now, where should you go? If you love it <laughs> for the headphone jack and the high quality DAC, ROG Phone 5 is an option for you. It's kind of a gigantic phone. You're probably not coming from an LG phone that size, but uh, that's a quad the, DAC the v for you. The V-series are pretty big. They're pretty Maybe big, but the ROG big, phone yeah. is big. Yeah, nothing really <laughs> compares to that chunk yeah, area. But that's still out there. If you loved LG phones for, I think another one that's pretty common is a lot of the manual controls in the camera. They had a pretty good pro mode and some good video modes. I would suggest looking at Sony for those same controls, Sony Xperia series. Yeah. Um, it, and it's mainly just for the manual controls. The, the video quality itself might not be at the same level, but you get that extra control if there's specific use cases you like the controls for. But yeah, other than that, you know, LG phones, they've had this uh, pretty similar software experience for a while. Samsung's honestly close. Oxygen OS, they've all sort of coalesced into a generally pretty acceptable software form. So if you loved LG for the software, you'll be fine in a bunch of places. And uh, yeah, if you loved LG for the swivel, I'm sorry to say <laughs> there's not really any other swiveling phones out there right yeah, now. Yeah, I don't think you can, you can pull <laughs> that off. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a sad one. Luckily, LG is still going to be dominating the display market. I... I I still don't think there's a TV. If you have like an unlimited budget, I don't think there's a TV out there I could suggest other than an LG OLED. They're just so far ahead of everything. So so glad to see LG is not totally leaving. They've got a bunch of great products, but it's still sad that we lose them as just improving the smartphone lineups. Uh, no one wants to have just, I mean, like if we were just left with Samsung and Apple, that would just get real boring. So hopefully all these other companies are doing well. Maybe we'll see some new companies pop up out of, out of this maybe maybe. Uh, maybe some lg and hcc bros are like oh man we're not making phones anymore let's band together and we'll keep our hopes up we'll keep uh our speaking of smartphone companies that have popped up recently we'll talk about oneplus after the break hi we're visible we're the wireless company with nothing to hide seriously hidden fees we don't have them annual contracts not our thing Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com. Support for Waveform comes from Coda. So it can be tough to stay organized when your team is spread across time zones. With Coda, you can help keep your whole team on the same page with an all-in-one collaborative workspace that brings together the best of documents, spreadsheets, and apps into one platform. That means less time ping-ponging between different tabs and tools and more time on your projects. So with Coda's extensive planning capabilities, you can stay aligned when managing planning cycles and while measuring objectives and key results. Plus, you can access hundreds of templates and get inspired by others in Coda's gallery. So over 50,000 teams across the world collaborate with Coda, from the New York Times to Square, uh, from Toast to TED and Uber. So if you want a platform that enables and empowers your team to collaborate effectively and focus on shared goals, you can get started with Coda today for free. You can head over to coda.io 
slash wave. So that's coda, C-O-D-A dot I-O slash wave to get started for free. Coda.io forward slash wave. All right, we're back. And we just saw another smartphone virtual launch event in the form of the OnePlus 9 and OnePlus 9 Pro and OnePlus Watch. Um, we could talk about the phones themselves, and I think we will in a little bit, but mm-hmm. let's talk about the live event first, because we're coming up now on, you just mentioned, almost a year of virtual events Watch since it. we had to stop going to events. Yeah, I think this is right around the time that uh, everyone at the studio went home right. and started quarantining. So like, this is right around that we were looking at like Mobile World Congress getting canceled, WWDC getting canceled. Like, I found in my notes in my phone recently, it just said podcast topics, and there's a little note that said, "Are events going to get canceled?" Question mark. I was like, "Oh man, it's been a while." But, little um, did he know. <laughs> yeah. So, so we have a new event here, and we're at one year. So, like, I think we can talk about how it went and maybe how it's evolved since. Yeah. You know, this is becoming a normal thing. So, I hate saying that, but yeah, I feel like this event was somewhere in the middle. It was Mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle, and I feel like we're kind of measuring these events now on like a production scale and a cringe scale. There's like (laughs) two two sliding scales where if you can max out production and minimize cringe, then you've done a good job. I think that's like Apple's latest two events were probably top of that meter, top of the power rankings, maximum production and effectiveness somewhat low levels of cringe. You still have to have some cringe, I guess. It's marketing. There, It's literally like part of marketing, but <laughs> Apple just blows you away with some of its production stuff that like maybe you just are, you're still thinking about how cool that transition was when they say something really cringy. And right. then, uh, then there was uh, the other end of the spectrum, which might be Samsung. They asked, we just had a Samsung event, the A-series event, which had like pretty good production, this sort of virtual stage type thing going on, but also very high levels of cringe if you were watching the actual event. Literally the title of it. Before the event even started, it was called like Galaxy Awesome Unpacked or yeah, something. Yeah, A for awesome. Yeah, yeah. Wolf. But I mean, the entire commercial was like, it was like the how do you do fellow kids <laughs> meme <laughs> yeah. of like, they make TikToks, right? In horizontal? No? I don't know how this works. Uh, it was rough. But I'd say this OnePlus event was somewhere in the middle. It was set. In, it was a very stark set, like a bunch of very white rooms. I almost kind of half rooms, expected. yeah. yeah. I was I was kind of waiting for like a Johnny Ive to like skitter through the background of one of the shots or something. They announced bringing on Johnny Ive into OnePlus. That would have been wild. Um, but that was, you know, the production was pretty clean. They had a couple like cool transitions, but yeah. for no reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. We were talking about that, how they were like, they were very Apple-like transitions in the sense of, and I mean, I know there are probably people out there like, you guys keep comparing everything to Apple. These were literally like Apple transitions. Like you would transition up to make it look like it went into a room above them or transition down like a room under them. But things we've seen before. Yeah. And yeah. But on Apple campus, we kind of know the context because we have a pretty good idea. I mean, like you've been there, but even the general people watching have seen Apple campus so many times they know where a lot of things are located. So you know that drone shot from the main stage through the projector room is going to another part of the Apple circle. And then you know on that bottom floor, it's coming up through a bunch of floors into the Steve Jobs Theater like main entrance or whatever. And and like you have the contacts. With OnePlus, these are just these voids that they're switching back and forth from that right. we don't know where they I are. I mean, we don't know OnePlus. Maybe their campus is a Maybe bunch it of voids. Maybe we're starting to learn it. But. <laughs> we don't know. But no, the, the thing about Apple, even if you don't know Apple campus, though, they'd use the transitions to move the presentation along. So whether you're going from one device to the next one yeah. or 
when they were talking about like the screen and performance, for example, and then they go down to the lab to talk about the new chip, <laughs> yeah. it was very purposeful, very purposefully driven. So if you ignore the purpose, you can replicate the production value, but OnePlus would literally transition while talking about one thing into more of talking about the same thing. And so the, the transition didn't make as yeah. much sense and it would literally be the same person after the transition. Talking about like the same thing. Talking topic. about the same thing. Yeah. So if I'm one company with two different people and I need to get from, you know, Tim talking about the 5G to insert this person here talking about the chip, we're transitioning between those things. But it would literally go from like underground to above ground and it would be the same person still there talking about the same thing. So that's why I say that it was a little bit cringe in that way. There was also a... Uh, you know, there's there's just weird moments. Like the guy like climbed himself, himself and tried to high five himself. It was <laughs> kind of weird. High five. Okay. Um, but overall, I'm gonna put this. I, I kind of want to give like a letter grade because there's too many to yeah. keep, like a power rankings now. But they did a good job addressing straight to the camera. I liked that. They spent a, a, an awful lot of time on the Hasselblad camera system, but eventually got around to everything else, which I think said a lot about their priorities. So I'm not gonna fault mm -hmm. them for that. So I'm gonna give OnePlus's nine and nine pro event a B a B. Total? A B, yeah. I would give their production like a B to B plus. I think oh, they're like if I separate them. Yeah, I think you yeah. need I think you kind of have to separate it and then give it a score together. Cause I, I think their production was really good. Again, they they like nailed the effects and uh, while some of the lighting was like super moody, I think they probably nailed what they were going for. Whether we agree on what they're going for is good or not is that's really subjective. But minimal. I, I think they like they nailed a lot of that stuff, and I think it's better than their past ones. I think it was way better than their AR event and that last event. That I still just can't forget that like gray room with that screen and the guy sometimes not looking at the correct CGI screen or like text that would pop up. Right. So this was far far better than that. Again, on the the like kind of cringe level. Yeah, there were some weird moments. That high five was really strange. I think some of their marketing was like full blown. Like the Hasselblad stuff was really, really, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But like 30 minutes of an hour long presentation was about like their collaboration with Hasselblad. And everyone does a collab, but like we want to know a little more about the phone. Yeah, um, it was pretty strong. Also, biggest missed aspect here was when they talked about the watch, they talked about a two week battery life. Up to two weeks of use. And if you're a heavy user, and just glossed over that like it was absolutely nothing. So I am either very confused why they wouldn't hammer. I would have listened to 30 minutes about how that has a two week battery life. Yeah. So I'm either worried why they didn't like mention that more and hammer it in because maybe it's not as good as they say it is. Or I mean, they I don't know. they mentioned that it would have a t an up to two week battery life, and then they immediately said if you're a power user or a heavy user then you can get a week of battery. Which is which to me amazing. is amazing for a smartwatch of the types of functions that they said it would have. And I want to know more about how, and I want to test that. But if I was OnePlus, that would have been the biggest feature. Oh, I would have yeah. leaned, I would have landed on that hard. Like, here's all the other smartwatches. Here's all their battery life. Here's our battery life. And I would have stuck that landing and really made everybody look at that chart. Yeah. And the price is really good for it also. So like if it's even remotely competitive with an Apple Watch or like a Garmin or whatever and a two week to one week battery life, that's yeah. that's really good. So yeah, I, I'll give production a B, okay. a, uh, the, the content, maybe like a C. I didn't, yeah. So B minus. Not bad. 
Not bad. But we got to the phones. We finally got the phones. So if you didn't watch the event, they did, in fact, jump straight into the deep end, opening with a Hasselblad commercial, actually, and then just talking about that partnership for the opening 29 minutes straight of that presentation. So you can say they made a pretty big deal about that. Um, the cameras being the most important new feature of the OnePlus 9 and OnePlus 9 Pro. We've tested the phones now. Review the OnePlus 9 Pro. That review is up. By the time you hear this, the OnePlus 9 review will also be up. Let's just talk about what we think about the phones. So here's, I'm holding you, handing you the OnePlus yeah, 9 Pro. So this phone is gonna, we'll start with the Pro. It starts at 969. It's got all the highest end specs, not the highest end, but very high end, Snapdragon 888, eight or 12 gigs of RAM, up to 256 gigs of storage, which is not as much as you can get in some other phones, but it's non-expandable. Then you're gonna get 4,500 milliamp hour battery with really fast charging. Love the charging, 65 watt wired charging. And then if you get OnePlus's special fancy $70 wireless charger, because of the dual charging coils in the charger, it's gonna charge each half of the battery at 25 watts, totaling 50 watts wireless charging. So it's got a little fan in it and you can like play with the, the fan controls in the settings, but love that. Then you're gonna get a 6.7 inch 1440p LTPO 120 hertz display, which had a pretty good experience with, occasional stuttering, but I feel like that's fixable with software. And then what we really all just landed on was the camera quad camera system on the back, 48 megapixel main sensor. Then there's a 50 megapixel ultra wide, which I'm just gonna say it is, it's the best part of this camera system. Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of the best ultra wides in any phone. Then you've got a 3.3X zoom camera and a two megapixel monochrome sensor. So overall, I you know I wish I got like a matte colorway of the phone to test, but I, I, I think the design is solid. I enjoyed using the phone. It very much nails the OnePlus experience of like, you know what you're getting mm -hmm. with Oxygen OS and it's smooth and it's fast and the charging is, you know, the warp charging is awesome. But all of the hype, and this is, we could talk about this for a long time, but all of the hype was around this revolutionary, maybe they didn't say that actual word, but they kind of implied it a lot. Yeah. This Hasselblad partnership Hasselblad. and this Hasselblad. new Hasselblad. camera system. Hasselblad. Now, it's... It's really, hype is dangerous. I'll just start with that. So like the way they brought forward that hype was, uh, you know, we've been listening to you. One thing everyone's always said for every OnePlus basically ever is like, it, everything's there, but the camera just doesn't compete with other flagships. It's good. It is a C plus to B. It is there, you know, like most people aren't going to have the biggest issue, but it will, it just hasn't competed at all. And like they just said, we hear you. We want to compete with them. We're not just uh, we're not just like a, a spec phone anymore. We want to be the full package. And you know, have you heard of this little company called Hasselblad? Because if you haven't, we are going to slam it in your face for the rest of this presentation and box and branding. Um, and that's how we're going to prove to you that we have this new camera. Now, if you do that and you hype it up for thirty minutes of a literally half, we were taking bets on how long. I think at like. 20 minutes, we were like, okay, how long does this go? Yeah. Uh, it's an hour long presentation. Is it going to hit 30 minutes? And it hit like 29, I think. Yep. Um, if you're going to spend that much time, you have to deliver. Mm -hmm. And so here's the thing they, they delivered a pretty good camera. And, yeah. and if the, you know, the OnePlus 8 Pro that I was using last year had like a pretty solid flagship quality camera, it's not going to, it's not going to blow the others out the water, but it's competitive enough that you're like, I have a pretty good camera here. This one is better than that in pretty much every way. The ultra wide is dramatically better. I was very excited about that. But when all of the hype was like, 
this is, you know, this is the camera that went to the moon. This is the camera that captured the orb we live on. And now we're going to bring the, the, this color tuning. Maybe on one hand, they did everything right. And we're just, it's impossible to live up to that level of hype. But the cameras, despite all being better than last year, which was already competitive, were still somehow a little disappointing because <laughs> they, yeah. they weren't the best of the best. I think we were hoping for like a new best camera. Like, oh, iPhones are, and Pixels and Samsungs are great, but OnePlus and Hasselblad really did it this time. Well, it's not there. And not even, like, just getting the title of best camera, but just, like, it still probably isn't competing with, like, an iPhone 12, and that's a couple months old, and there's going to be a new one this year. So if you're, especially if you're just thinking of 2021, like, probably a pretty low chance this is going to be the best camera of 2021. And It's the best ultrawide of 2021. So so far. Yeah, best yeah. ultrawide yet. But, well, yeah. So let me ask you a question, then. If you're OnePlus, mm -hmm. it, and you have... You are on the OnePlus marketing team, so you had not really much input in the product, but they've given you this new phone and this partnership with Hasselblad and this new money, and they say go. Do you think it would have actually landed better if they didn't hype up this as much and just said, hey, here's our new phone. It's got a bit of a better camera. Check it out. But also the rest of the phone's really great, and here's our new fast charging. Here's the price. Do you think that would have landed and then reviewers would have got it in their hands and went, wow, they really improved the camera a lot versus last year. Check this phone out. Or do you think they had to go hype, 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 the <laughs> OnePlus way, like this is this incredible new thing we've done because that's what the marketing team's supposed to do. Did you just use five hypes? I think I did. I said we knock it back to two hypes and that would have been like a pretty good. So so like, I, I think what you're saying and... Uh, Dave2D made a video about this that, that was really good and basically saying like with all this hype reviewers got this in their hands and expected way more when if they didn't have all of that and reviewers just got this phone they would have been like oh yeah the camera's definitely improved like I, it, it's going up it's getting better we wanted that it's not the best but it's better and that probably would have been wonderful but with all this hype every single video is the focus of it is going to be the camera and if it lives up to that hype and it's not going to right. and therefore that's going to bring the entire review having more of a negative aspect onto it and that's that's not good i think what i would have done and you know i'm not a marketing person i'm a consumer i don't know how much money they dumped into this hasselblad thing so i don't know how much 150 million dollars 100 okay yeah a lot <laughs> but if i were doing that event I don't think I would have, I would have probably just tried to keep the event structured similarly and in the camera section, maybe make it a little longer and bring up the Hasselblad partnership, bring up how that improved things, bring up the calibrations that they did and bring in the Hasselblad guy to explain all of that, but not just like, it almost feels like they said Hasselblad before they said OnePlus 9 Pro. Like it just felt like just straight into this, they weren't even talking about the phone, they were just talking about the cameras right away for so long. And Yeah, so the Hasselblad, the extent of the Hasselblad partnership is really interesting to think about, and especially to me. So I, I like Hasselblad and I've, I've shot with, actually I have an X1D that I've shot a lot with in the past. I, I only shot with it at CES last time I went, actually. This partnership is over the course of three years. And OnePlus has said they're investing $150 million in the entire camera system, including in this Hasselblad partnership. But if you really read exactly what OnePlus says, it's something that has the potential to evolve over time. So obviously you see the Hasselblad name on the back of the camera mm -hmm. and on the box and in the ads and in the presentation of marketing. But as of this point right now, what we're seeing is their first layer of feedback, which is like working with Hasselblad ambassadors and working on a more natural tuning for color, which is great. Color is important. 
Mm -hmm. But in a smartphone photography setting, there's a lot more to what makes a good smartphone camera than what makes a good Hasselblad camera. Hasselblad does great glass, great sensors, great processing, but OnePlus has to do computational photography, has to do a great auto HDR, has to do a great video mode, has to do great stabilization. And so a lot of the things that we're starting to see, like the freeform lens that's corrected the ultra-wide to be much less distorted around the edges, that is pretty cool. The more natural color science, that's pretty solid. But in the future, they could potentially have an impact on more of that processing and potentially more of the video side too. And maybe we'll start to see an even bigger gain in the next OnePlus phone or the next two OnePlus phones because of that partnership. That is me being optimistic. I don't yeah. really know how deep they're going to go, but if you read into what they've done so far, that it's it's basically boiling down to color at the moment. It's a pretty classic example of how we mentioned, like, listen, we'll talk about potential software updates or things that could happen in the future, but you should not buy a product based on that potential because mm -hmm. there's a way better chance you get let down and annoyed later down the line. I, I almost like kind of compare this in a way to when the, Pixel 4 came out with Soli, they were just like, they hyped Soli so much and it felt like this really, really cool new feature. Pixel 4 is the first smartphone with a radar sensor. And they talked about it forever in their event, but then when you get the phone, it's not that great. And mm -hmm. it's like, if you just mentioned Soli briefly and said like, we're working on these new things, it, you know, it's in the phone, mess around with it, It ha you can do this, this, and this. I bet people would have been like, oh, that's kind of neat. Like, I could see where the future of this is going. But when you start putting, like, that seems to be the feature of the phone, then people expect that to be amazing. And when it's not, it kind of just ruins the whole phone. And I hate Soli. I, <laughs> I, I was going to say. ruined the Pixel 4. Yeah. Yet it had really cool, like, potential and now they're not even doing it anymore. So like, I think this is different because it, that's like this whole other technology and this is just camera they're trying to make better. But I also think there's this little part of people, whether it's true or not, they see this huge, huge marketing push towards one specific thing. And if it doesn't deliver and they see a high price tag, they automatically think I'm getting charged so much money because of this feature that doesn't deliver. Right. And I think price on the OnePlus 9 Pro is a huge, a huge deal. Yeah, there's there's two ways to look at the the hype of one feature. I think that the amount of stage time and presentation time that we see in a new feature is probably directly correspondent with how much money was invested into making that happen. But I think the amount of stage time we hope to see is based on the amount of benefit to the user. And I think those are two very different things. So when we see Hasselblad, 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 that's because OnePlus spent a lot of money mm -hmm. to make that Hasselblad partnership happen. They put a lot of effort in, they, they jumped through a lot of extra hoops to be able to do this Hasselblad thing. But when we see Hasselblad on the box and we see Hasselblad, Hasselblad, Hasselblad in the presentation, we're thinking, oh, this Hasselblad thing is gonna be a game changer for the whole phone. Like I better love this Hasselblad camera. And so it's just a it's just a little bit of a different way uh, to, to think about these new features. So with Soli, yeah, I think they probably spent a good amount of money fitting tiny new industry first radar sensors in the phone and they had to talk about it because yeah. if you spend all that and then don't talk about it, what's the use? Yeah. And so we all see that presentation and go, wow, Soli is gonna change the way we use our phones and then it doesn't. That's why I say like 
from five hypes go to two or three hypes. Like you hype your product. I am not telling people to not make a big deal out of this. It's just hard to focus on the rest of the phone when your focus is barely on the rest of the phone and so much yeah. on like especially for OnePlus. It's just weird not seeing an entire presentation that's talking about how insane the specs are compared to other things and a good price difference and just seeing them talk about the camera that yeah. much. As as someone who makes things, I think it is really challenging to not talk and and be really proud of how much effort you put into something yeah. when you put a lot of effort into it. Like when you, even when we will spend like hours and hours on like a robot shot in a video and it's only three seconds in the video, but like we want everyone to know how long we worked yeah. on that. Just so you know, that took a really long time. I'll mention it any chance I can get that it took this many hours. Um, and I think if you're like working at OnePlus and you're like, do you know how many hoops we had to jump through to make this Hasselblad logo <laughs> yeah. fit on the back of the phone? And so we could do all these things with this partnership and these ambassadors and there's only 12 in the world and blah, 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 $150 million in three years. They're like, if we don't hype this to the max, we're not getting our money's worth. And we really need people to know that this is a huge deal for us. So I, I get it on one hand, but you know, it's uh, not the greatest camera in the world. Mm. Also, we want to talk about the OnePlus 9 briefly just because I think this this kind of got lost in the sauce of all the hype of uh, yeah, OnePlus exactly. 9 Pro. So, and Which I talked is about more this. proof that too much hype can be not a great thing. Right, so Sorry. this yeah. this definitely got sort of overshadowed, but OnePlus 9 starts at 729 and low key, maybe even high key, I think this is a sort of a sneaky good value phone. It's a Snapdragon 888. You don't get the Snapdragon 888 in many phones less than 800 bucks right now. That's the highest end chips Qualcomm makes right now. So you'd be comparing it to like the likes of Mi 11 or Galaxy S21. And this phone does all of the same stuff, especially in software, that the high-end one does. It's the same exact spec sheet, eight to 12 gigs of RAM, same storage, not expandable, still fast, still 120 hertz, though it's not LTPO and all the same OnePlus software features. The things it's lacking is like- It doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel I'll great. Maybe you put it in a case and you don't care. It's missing a telephoto lens, so you're not gonna get the best zoom photos. So if you don't zoom and you don't care, then whatever. But they did keep your two megapixel black and white sensor, oh. if you're into that. And you know, it still has the 65 watt fast charging, but it doesn't have the crazy fast wireless charging. But you know, hey, that was an optional accessory anyway. So I feel like this is this is the OnePlus thing where like they find a bunch of the things they think they can take out and save money. And they did it. They once saved you 240 bucks for essentially the same phone with a 1080p flat screen and uh, lack of a telephoto. Like that's the same thing. Yeah, it, I think it's interesting because that's like the original OnePlus thing. They didn't have, this was, would be what the higher end would be. It, yeah. It's like, hey, we, you know, we took out a couple of features that I don't think everyone cares that much about and can be pretty easily forgotten about. Um, and we gave you a crazy good price point. Yeah, um, it still has the ultra wide that I think is the best ultra wide in any phone. So this is now a $729 phone with a Snapdragon 888, the best ultra wide in any phone, 65 watt fast charging and the same size battery as a phone that costs $240 more. Yeah, and like I find it funny because then with the pro version, has it felt like the last year or so it this is becoming more common is I feel like a lot of phone companies have just been hitting this diminishing returns aspect of like, they have all these pro versions. If you think about the S21 Ultra, if you think about the iPhone 12 Pro, you're getting these pretty decent price differences between the the version, so the iPhone 12 or the S21 Plus. There's not a huge jump between the, those two, but a huge price jump. And that's what this feels like now also. Like, it's a 
$200 difference between the OnePlus 9 and the OnePlus 9 Pro. 240 Yeah, but like you said, you're not really losing that much out of it, right. especially if you throw it in a case and don't care about the build quality. So I feel like people should be eyeing these these lower, quote-unquote, lower-priced phones more often. It makes it way harder for all these companies, though, to have the headline of the cheap number. You yeah, know what I, I mean? I think it's definitely the best, uh, most competitive uh, phone for the most people in that price range. And when you start getting, like you said, law of diminishing returns up to 1,000, 1,100, 1,200, they're all going to be good on paper. At this point, they're trying to find like a specific niche feature that they can go all in on that will get you to buy it over the overall standard good phone. So if you get you get a standard good phone for 800 bucks, or you can get a standard good phone for 800 bucks that has 100x zoom, or you can get the standard good phone for 1200 bucks with 100x zoom, or maybe it's the standard good phone for 1200 bucks that has you know some crazy gigantic battery and gaming features. So they're trying to find like an extra thing on top of the standard yeah. good phone. But that standard good phone is usually the better buy for most people, which is why we got to pay attention to them. Well, anyway, I'll leave you the quote. Expectations are the thief of joy. We'll come back and we got to talk about that. Uh, I'm a Mac guy. <laughs> Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI Power Gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. You'll also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is going to change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution. Like you, you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte, team up, fight on. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling 
wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, welcome back. Uh, we got two other quick things I want to talk about just because they're they're just kind of funny like office conversations mm-hmm. we've had and we might as well just talk about them a little bit. One is the I'm a Mac guy, which is what I'm calling him now, Justin Long. The I'm a Mac guy back from those old ads where it was, hi, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, has switched and is now doing ads for Intel. Hello, I'm a Justin. Just a real person doing a real comparison between Mac and PC. Now, it's not technically a PC thing now, but he's doing ads in part of this like massive Intel, almost like slander campaign against the M1, yeah. which is really cringy in a lot of ways to watch. But it's the I'm a Mac guy, so there's your, there's your headlines. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, I think like my biggest issue, well, I feel like there's a couple of funny things about the whole thing. One is the commercials are just bad. Um, they weirdly like, uh, they weirdly for some reason show a, a MacBook that, as smaller bezels and looks better than regular MacBooks. So oh, the CG is bad, yeah. Yeah, the CG is awful. Then he's holding up, what is that, that Asus ZenBook with the dual screens and they like superimpose the screens on, but they they didn't do it over his thumbs or something like that. a little bit sloppy. There's a lot of really sloppy work just in it in general. And also there's the argument that some Macs still have an Intel chip, but I think they're trying to get ahead of the ahead of the ball and like because eventually apple's definitely going to go to all their own chips and probably not include intel yeah look this is it's intel like intel is in a rough tricky spot right now they're competing against a bunch of other chip manufacturers they're trying to be they're trying to beat amd on one corner they're trying to fight off apple's chips on the other corner and so literally this whole ad campaign is like hmm how can we position intel chips above apple silicon and their answer was get the I'm a Mac guy to talk about how he uses a PC. But there's so many PCs that use all the same thing. Like, okay, literally he talks about dongles in one of these ads where it's yeah. like, okay, well, I mean, if you point to any number of different PCs with Intel chips that also use USB-C, that's like not really an Intel thing. But, you know, you got to make the jab. I, I don't know. There's a, there's the gaming jabs, which is like, there are also Intel Macs that can't game. So I guess you you can make the jab, but not really. So it's it's kind of confusing, really. I don't I don't I'm not a huge fan of the ad campaign, but again, if I work for Intel, I get how they thought this was a good idea. Yeah, if I work for Apple, I'm super pumped because it's just like free press <laughs> of everyone making fun of these while Apple just again gets to ignore everybody and still just like kill it in marketing. Like they're they're just at this point where it's hard for them to fail. And I know a lot of people aren't going to like that that I said that, but like Apple does a great job. And I think the reason they do such a great job is because they're so focused on their own products and explaining how their products are good and helpful. Whether you agree with that or not, it's hard to give them crap because they're just, they're focusing on what they do good. When you're a company that focuses on other people for 90% of your commercial it doesn't yeah. have the best feeling. It's also a tough spot because how does Intel market well like that? Like when it's Apple hard. has their whole f- complete product, people are buying the product because it does the thing that they want it to do well. Mm-hmm. I don't know very many average people who are going, what kind of chip is in this computer? Can I make sure it's an Intel one? Like they just want the computer to be fast and have the nice screen and do what they want it to do. Yep. And if it doesn't, whether it's Intel or anyone else, they don't want it. So <laughs> Intel's challenge is like, 
advertising Intel chips despite the broad variety of beautiful and garbage products that they're inside of. And, you know, if it's their high-end chips, then maybe you give it, like, a fancy lake name and make sure everybody knows about it. And there's a sticker on the laptops. But, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. There isn't really a great Intel marketing campaign that I've seen so far. I feel like it's almost the, like, the iOS versus Android. It's just even harder because you have two quote-unquote companies comparing against each other. Except one builds the software and the hardware. And the other where builds the software and 50 other companies build the hardware. Where when yeah. it comes to laptops, like, Intel's trying to sell more... Windows-based laptops with Intel chips, but like they can't, they don't get to control whether Asus does this or Acer does that or HP does something cool that people are going to love. So it's it's just yeah. really hard marketing for them. Um, I think the initial attempt at bringing in the quote-unquote Mac guy, which I also have an issue, his name's Justin Long. He's an actor. He, but like he's, he's not a shill for Intel or anything or a yeah, shill for but, Apple. He now is just somebody who got paid. I, I just don't blame it, him on any of this. He no, 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 no. I don't blame him. him. I'm just saying this does this only makes headlines because it's him. It does, correct. But I think companies have done it correctly where uh Verizon took the it was Verizon took the old sprint guy, right? Same the, deal. Can yeah. you hear me? And they actually did a pretty good job with it. And they right. they made a just super simple commercial where you're that's like a fair I, playing reme- field. I remember that reference. Yeah. Blah blah blah. And now the reference is different and it's funny. That's a I, fair playing field. Yeah. One I think carrier to the other. Intel could have taken Justin Long and maybe did something funny with it and they just tried way too hard and just made it way too easy to pick apart, and that backfired yeah. pretty, pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, the playing field's not so even. I, I did think the one fair thing they said, which was like a sliver of one of the commercials, was like him going, let me see like the Apple laptops or whatever, and there was like a pair of MacBooks sitting there, because there's only two M1 Macs yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. So oh, there's only two? So these are the newer Macs? Yeah. Okay, so gray and grayer. And then there's like a thousand PCs that run Intel chips mm-hmm. so they can go, well, look at all this variety and choice. That's real. Lean into that. Yeah. But, you know, they had to get like snarky and, and all that stuff. So I, I don't know. There's there's a bunch of cringe in every sort of version of marketing and there's plenty here. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention just before we head out, Tesla, because I have to talk about Tesla every episode huh. apparently, <laughs> is uh, accepting Bitcoin now to buy a car, like officially, like it's on the yeah. site. I went to tesla.com and scroll down and it's right there. You can pay in Bitcoin. I find it funny because we were talking about this in the office earlier and I was, I I said, I can't see a car company accepting Bitcoin anytime soon. And Tesla just loves to smear it in my face that I'm wrong all the time, so. They are very invested now as a company in Bitcoin. We saw them buy a billion and a half dollars of Bitcoin and already make more from the profit of that fluctuation than like all of their cars that they've built, which is pretty hilarious. And so now them accepting Bitcoin for cars means they will continue to pile in more Bitcoin. And if they believe in it, like that seems like they do, and it appreciates over time, this is a great move for Tesla. I notoriously said on one of those last podcasts that that makes you buying a depreciating asset with an appreciating asset. So if you ha- if you happen to have a bit of Bitcoin and don't believe in its future, this is great. You can just drop it on drop yeah, it on a car I, and you're good. You're out. But if you actually do believe Bitcoin is going to continue to appreciate and become worth more over time, then this could be one of those things where you're like, man, I bought a Tesla with my two Bitcoin, but ten years later that two Bitcoin is a million dollars. Yeah. I think it's really hard and it's like a, a hindsight thing in general because none of us can predict what's happening. But I would take your quote and change it a little and say you're buying a depreciating 
product for a potentially sure. appreciating and like a, a reasonably appreciating, but not guaranteed. I think that's why it's really hard to look at this from either aspect of being a buyer or being the seller of something and accepting Bitcoin because especially in large quantities like this where a car is 60000 to to $100,000, if, if you sell 50 cars and it's all in Bitcoin and then that price plummets, you've just lost so much, like you've True. lost so much of your profit to the point where you even could be losing money on those in terms of profit margins. It is risky. And if you are a buyer and you buy a car with two Bitcoin and it spikes up, you probably hate your car because you're just like, well, that like this car wasn't $60,000. This car is $100,000. And now if I just paid for that in cash, it would have been $40,000 less expensive. But that's the problem with crypto, or not the problem, but a big issue with crypto in general risk. is, yeah. yeah, there's huge risk involved in anything and you'll never know exactly what's going to happen. I just think it's fascinating. It it, it really it speaks to how much it seems that Tesla believes in Bitcoin. That's basically what it comes down to. Yeah, I, I always wonder what like believing in Bitcoin means. Meaning they believe that their risk is minimal of it depreciating. Okay, so it's like a risk time. factor yeah. based on it. That their their risk assessment is Bitcoin will continue to go up in value and it will be worth it for us to accept Bitcoin. Um, also, there were some people in my comments when I tweeted about this saying that a Tesla could potentially be an appreciating asset when they eventually do self-driving, which I think is interesting and possibly fair. I just don't know that you can consider that as much of an appreciation as the potential of Bitcoin. Maybe I'm wrong, I might be very wrong. Maybe the Tesla will be worth five times as much in a few years because of self-driving and every car in the world's gonna have to have that. I just think generally it's pretty well accepted that cars don't go up in value. Is the argument for that that it's appreciating because when it gets full self-driving, don't people say like, when you're not using it, you could send it out as like some ride share, something that you could make money on and- Sure. I think that's a stupid argument. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I don't yeah. get it. I, I mean. If it has full self-driving, their cars later on are also going to have full self-driving. And if you still buy them in cash and the risk is way more if you purchase something in Bitcoin, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, what if you buy a car for 60 grand and then you go out and it earns you $10,000 in a year by Uber taxiing or robo taxiing? Yeah, but it, it would do that if I bought it in cash also. True. I, I just, I just guess I just don't get the comparison by saying it is it's I think people fine just, to do it in Bitcoin, which we are seeing appreciate and is wildly fluctuating all over the place. And I, uh, I don't. See I think people just thought right that way. the value of a Tesla could go up more than the value of Bitcoin over time, basically. So if you buy it for fifty grand and it makes you ten thousand dollars a year for three years, and you okay. spent that on cash, you just turn that into a thirty thousand dollar less expensive car. Where if you bought Bitcoin, and then Bitcoin plummets in value, then it's a very different calculation. I'll accept that argument when we're anywhere close to that ever actually happening. Robo and I don't think we're even remotely close to that, despite seeing some, I mean, like he promised a level of full self-driving like a couple of weeks ago and then already has passed that and has said that there's another delay on it. So I just, I don't think we're as close to that as possible, especially just with pure regulations, not even the technology. So, like, no, yeah, it's a I, very I, future future facing vision of uh, robo taxis and self driving cars. But yeah, don't make an investment on a Tesla because you think it might make you some money from full self driving while you're having dinner. Don't buy a product based on the promise of future software updates. Yeah, it always comes back to that, doesn't it? I think right now, like the the main reason you would buy it in Bitcoin itself is like you went in at a certain price. 
you wound up making way more money than you expected and you are just happy with the investment that you made and you're not looking to take that risk anymore. So maybe you put 10 grand in a couple years ago. Now you have enough to buy a Model Y at 60 grand. Sure, you have a hard out, you've made a lot of money, you get something you really wanted, and who care at that point you shouldn't care if it goes that much higher after you buy it what if it goes way higher that's man sometimes i wonder if like all of crypto is just based on this like but what if it goes way higher that's exactly what it is it really is and i don't oh man i can't even begin to start getting into that i'll just confuse myself if i try and go any deeper into that argument well that's a that's a perfect place to end it let's not confuse ourselves out of this out of this argument we love it well that's been pretty much it for this episode thanks again for listening thanks for tuning in and uh, having the conversation with us. We'll talk to you guys in the next one. Peace. Uh, okay. Let's see if I can do this. First try. Waveform is produced. Oh, wait. I don't count that. I still heard wobbling on the table. That was, that was planned. Waveform is produced by Adam Molina. We are partnered with Studio 71, and our intro-outro music was created by Cameron Barlow. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.